Well, if it isn't an all-new episode of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman. I'm delighted to be back after a really long break from the mic with two of my favorite people to podcast with. It's Nick Vildhagen and Terry DeFellin. Hello, boys. Hello. Nice. It really has been quite some time, not only quite some time since we had our last podcast of the sort of first division season, but quite some time since all three of us have done a podcast together about the Bundesliga. What have you been up to, Nick? I mean, we've, we got a little preview of what you've been up to, a gaping head wound <laughs> we heard about on last week's Aufstieg edition. Maybe we don't need to revisit that particular episode unless there's been a, a critical update in the healing process or something. It's healing just fine. Thanks very much. Well, you know, I mean, the bloody stuff is, is safe for the lower divisions as, as they are a lot tougher than the Bundesliga, which we're going to talk about mostly today. We call him Turban Niklas. <laughs> well, I can update you on my uh, untapped coming and goings. I'm actually kind of keen on reaching 100 countries on untapped, you know, beers from 100 countries. And mm-hmm. right now I'm actually drinking a beer from Totenhopfen Brauhaus, which is from Luxembourg. Well done. Which means I've reached country number 89. I can think of at least one person I know who is going to be very excited to hear about that. Yes, Terry DeFallon, presumably, or not, uh, going by his facial expression. Well, but if any listeners have beard stored from weird countries, get in touch. I have fond memories of a Luxembourg beer called Boffeding. Boffeding? Which, yeah, which I have drunk years ago, I should say, drunk in copious amounts. Copious? I used to uh, share a flat in Thornton Heath in uh, South London with two Luxembourgish guys. And used to drink a fair amount, and they would some, and some occasionally they would bring Boffording home with them, and uh, it was good stuff, very very nice. Excellent. I, I've actually heard tale of Boffording from my friend who has recently become a Luxembourgish citizen and and sings its praises as well. Any big highlights from the summer, from the the time away from Bundesliga observation, Terry? No, I mean, I, I went on a beautiful holiday to Norway and didn't visit Nick, so that's an achievement in of itself. <laughs> I, I, I was hurt. But it's a, it's a big-ass place, Norway, to be fair. <laughs> we couldn't make it to Stavanger, so... Well, uh, to, to be fair to Terry, I sort of promised him to come up to Bergen, and then, yeah, things got in the way, and... Um, it's a long way. We couldn't make it work. Yeah, it, which is a shame, but it's cool, because uh, we loved Norway, and we are definitely, definitely going back. And, of course, uh, I'm English, and I've been watching the Women's World Cup, and I am, what can I say? blown away with stokedness it's coming home it might be coming home (laughs) come on terry surely you're dead chuffed right i'm dead chuffed mate i'm dead chuffed it's always fun to beat australia even in sports that we don't newly have you know i don't like to inflict the uh, uh, england australia psychodrama on women's football but it's too late it's happened so there it is so that was fun it was fun to watch that game and it was fun to win. And uh, it's nice and I'm looking forward to that. So I'll stop babbling about women's football now. We can talk about actual German football, which is what we're here for. Hmm. You're here. Yeah, we probably shouldn't be talking about the Ashes, should we? <laughs> no. <laughs> Certainly not. I don't know why we'd be talking about cricket on a football podcast, Nick. I don't know. I don't know. Where just, just check the label one more time and you'll find this is a football podcast. Nothing to do with cricket. What did you do, Matt? He said, changing the subject. Yeah, I'm rather jealous of your trip to Norway. My wife has been working on the book that she hopes will help get her tenure over the next 12 to 16 months. So we've been staying home a lot. We made it as far as Milwaukee for a weekend. We saw a a Sparks concert. That was pretty dope. 
But yeah, it's been a lot of Madison time. But, you know, Madison in the summertime is the best time to be here. So it's not been all bad. Let's push on to some foosball talking. That's that's the name of the show. At least that's my understanding. We'll take a quick, quick break. After that, we'll come back by talking about some of the ins and outs in the league and some of the things to look forward to. We'll give you our predictions before the show is out. You know, remember to... Maybe subscribe to us on Patreon if you like uh, giving us a little bit of money to help support the production costs of this pod. Lots of timeless content over there. And like us. Follow us on Twitter or X or whatever it's called these days. At Talking Foosball. See you in a gif. Let's uh, let's get things rolling with uh, talking foosball. There's going to be a little bit of a different rhythm to the show this year. We are going to be a little less slavishly match day recap oriented. We're going to have a first division oriented show one week. We'll have the Aufstieg edition the following week. There might be some opportunity for episodes to be slotted in in between those if we find topics that we feel are screaming out to be covered or voices that we feel y'all need to hear. But get ready for something a little different from Talking Foosball this season. And to start with something different, we've got, uh, you know, a, a super famous England international joining Bayern München in Harry Kane. This was a move that basically dragged out all summer long, and it did happen. There's been a lot of talk about it, both before the Super Cup, which uh, didn't quite go his way, but nonetheless. Let's crack into this topic of, of, of Harry Kane and what he brings to Bayern. This, you know, he's getting toward the final few years of his career, perhaps. He's 30. He hasn't really won too much with Spurs, and that's kind of Spurs' thing. (laughs) So now he's planning to win title after title after title. We'll see if that happens. Daniel Levy, as is his want, basically held Bayern to ransom. The boys at Zebenastrasse eventually put more than 100 million euros on the table, got their man. There was a lot of talk prior to last season after Robert Lewandowski's departure about how Bayern would have to switch their style of play up. That started pretty well. That kind of hit a bit of a lull. Now they have the more, not straight like-for-like, but close to like-for-like replacement. How do you guys reckon Kane is going to fit into this Bayern lineup? Is he basically the man to take them forward and, well play forward for them day in and day out or is there something different in store well i think the reason why Bayern signed harry kane uh they they weren't just based on the fact that they needed a like-for-like replacement for robert Lewandowski or something that was close to you know a replacement for robert Lewandowski. i mean obviously they needed that because we've seen last season that chupa matang and those who played up front really didn't do the business for them, and they didn't manage to spread the goals around the entire squad throughout the entire season. I mean, they did well enough with that at the start of the season, but uh, if we're being honest, they were really lucky to win that 11th title in a row. So, yes, they need more goals. That's why they bought him. But I think, additionally, they also think that this guy who's 30, who's the England captain, he's going to be a leadership figure in that dressing room. Because... 
with you know a lot of leadership figures leaving over the years, especially some of the Bavarian guys like Bastian Schweinsteiger, there is sort of a vacuum of leadership within that dressing room and on the pitch. And we've seen that time and time again with Bayern that whenever things didn't go their way straight away in the Bundesliga last season, heads were starting to hang. The likes of Joshua Kimmich and Thomas Müller weren't enough to turn things around on the pitch. They couldn't get that entire team running smoothly again when, you know, a goal was conceded that shouldn't have been conceded. So I think that leadership aspect is also something that Bayern were thinking a lot about. And that is probably what made them invest that much money because this is rather uncommon for Bayern. Bayern usually doesn't throw around 100 million euros. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Uli Hoeneß famously just a few years ago all but promised that Bayern would never spend 100 million euros on a player. He called it a farcical sum or something to that effect. And now they've gone and done it. And and perhaps some of the quotes that you've heard from Thomas Tuchel, both before and after the Super Cup, are really in some ways trying to justify that price, but maybe in some ways also, you know, raising the pressure on Kane a little bit, sort of buttering him up. He was asked what his role was going to be. I mean, he said basically he plays every game. And after the game, when Bayern, you know, had that pretty poor performance in a 3-0 loss at home to RB Leipzig, you know, said something to the effect that, you know, Harry Kane probably thinks we've been doing nothing for the last few weeks. Like, as if... You know, he sort of sits outside the construct of Bayern, and, and it's, it's it's an embarrassment to play that poorly in front of this megastar. It it struck me a little bit funny, actually, the way that that Tuchel was kind of, you know, all but calling him a god. Yeah, you don't <laughs> want the Bayern players to be uh, arguing in front of Harry Kane. That's certainly not something that you that you want to see. But it would be preferable if they were to wear ties when he's around because he's a, <laughs> he's a bit of a stickler for that kind of thing. Well, they keep dinner jackets on hand for the such occasions when, <laughs> when you don't bring your own. I mean, I mean, one thing that actually struck me as kind of funny, I, I, I think they went around on Twitter and other social media quite a lot, is, is the video of Harry Kane wanting to shout at the referee and then remembering, oh shit, I can't speak a word of German. So there's Harry Kane just standing there with like three Bayern players pummeling the ref, Harry Kane wanting to say something, and then you just see his eyes go, what are they going on about? I cannot get into that conversation, can I? Uh, And slowly, (laughs) you know, saying nothing. But that is also going to be probably going to be the biggest challenge of, you know, integrating him straight away. You know, getting him to understand that Bavarian culture, getting him to, you know understand a basic level of German. I mean, he says he wants to take German classes once or twice a week. We'll see how well that works out. But I mean, he wouldn't be the first English player to fail in Germany. I mean, the examples uh, from, you know, the 90s, 80s of that sort of move not working out. But the last few moves, I mean, Bellingham, Sancho, especially the moves that Dortmund have done over the last few years, have worked out wonderfully. Yeah, I mean, this has got to be the biggest you know, English star player since Kevin Keegan to move to the Bundesliga. And that worked out well. And it worked out great. So I'm very interested to see how this works out. Terry, since you, you know, (laughs) living in England, seeing a lot more Premier League than perhaps uh, Nick or I, what do you make of this move? What do you think he's going to bring to the table? Do you think that his class is going to show from the start? Do you think it's going to take some time 
What hole does he fill in this Bayern lineup? Uh, he's an extremely focused and dedicated footballer, Harry Kane. He takes his job incredibly seriously. He's a top, top pro. And he's been given the England captaincy for a reason as well. And I think that that is because of what he can do in the dressing room. I think strictly from a footballing point of view, I would expect that he would hit the ground running, to be honest with you. I would imagine that there might be some some tactical wrinkles that need to be ironed out in the weeks into the start of the season to try and make Bayern's game a little bit more nuanced. But I would imagine that much of it will be look just like get the ball to Harry, get the ball to Harry. Their first game is against Werder. No apologies, Nick. I think he's going to see a lot of the ball. And if he sees a lot of the ball, I think he's in, he's going to find the back of the net. So, I mean, I, I do I do feel that it's a good fit for him in the Bundesliga and that he will score goals. You know, obviously there's 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 broader issues at play about the way Bayern is set up about their squad. You know, signing Harry Kane feels perhaps like they're papering over the cracks. But in the short term, I would suggest to you that he will certainly bring, he should bring goals and there's no reason why he shouldn't bed in. Now, I mean, we talked about Keegan. Keegan was a success. Eventually, he almost went home after half a season. Then he dug his heel in and said, I'm going to prove these guys wrong. But in fairness, that's because I think most of the Hamburg dressing room just didn't like him and didn't want him to be there. I'm assuming that's massively different this time around. He's being rolled out the red carpet, you know, and, you know, there's a lot being placed on him. But he's proved that he's quite capable of rising to those kind of pressures in the past. But these are unknowns. You know, how will he settle into living in Bavaria? You know, how will his family settle in? You know, what does that all mean? How will he communicate? How can he be a leader in the dressing room if he can't necessarily communicate in the dressing room? Although I would suggest that probably most everyone in that dressing room speaks English. But even there, that's an issue. You've got your senior player, your top goal scorer, the man who's really there to lead the revival and to convincingly win the Bundesliga. And everybody has to speak English in order to be able to communicate with him. And that's going to change the dynamic in the dressing room as well. And we don't know what effect that that will have either. I suspect that this will be fairly small beer, but at the same time, you know, these are challenges that do need to be overcome. I think Thomas Muller is just going to have Harry around for better vegan meals, some pecan nuts for dessert and a round of golf. Yeah, the Mullers and the Canes are going to get on famously, you feel. And it'll be absolutely fine. And I'm half joking here. I mean, I think that obviously, because bearing in mind that Mrs. Kane is expecting, it's... Um, a big time to be making that kind of move for Harry Kane. And obviously as as an Englishman and as an England England fan, I'm you know, I wish him well. I find it utterly bizarre that he's gone. I find it utterly I mean, I know why he's gone. He's gone to win trophies. And that's the other thing that I think needs to be emphasized. Is he's won nothing at Tottenham Hotspur in terms of trophies. And I think he feels he needs to validation of his career by picking up silverware and that's why he's gone to Bayern Munich. Because I think he probably feels that he's almost guaranteed that. So he has to make that work, though. He has to put that time in. How powerful is that Spurs curse, though? I mean, a lot of Spurs players have never won anything. Yeah, but the thing is, is that the only competition that Spurs can realistically win is knockout competitions. They're never, ever going to be strong enough to win the league because there's always going to be stronger teams than Spurs with more money and a larger squads to win the league. So really what you're looking... I mean, when Pochettino was there in his day at their peak, they almost did it at the same time didn't so then you're relying on cup competitions and they're knockout formats and like anything can happen in knockout games so actually although people still like say oh Spurs never won anything well that's not actually 
that big a deal. Only about two or three clubs in England ever get to win anything anyway most of the time. And Spurs just aren't one of them. It's just that because they're a big club and they've got a lot of history and they have a history of winning stuff in the past, then people kind of think, oh, well, you know, they've not won anything. You know, but the reality is, is that, you know, Spurs are, and, you know, and apologies to Spurs fans listening to this, but they are an upper, upper, upper mid-table club and kind of always have been really, or at least in the recent past. So now he's taking that step up to a, a club that wins stuff. So Spurs are basically the Bayer Leverkusen of England. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. I mean, no, but, you know, I like it though. I think I can definitely live with it. Well, well, well. Uh, if you're going to talk about the Bayer Leverkusen of England, we might as well talk about the Bayer Leverkusen of Leverkusen. That's more Bundesliga of us, I think. We should probably talk about some of the other transfers which might have some bearing on results in the league. I found some of the moves that Bayer Leverkusen made this summer to be kind of interesting. Picking up Granit Xhaka, coming back to the Bundesliga. That's a bit fun, as well as Jonas Hofmann from Borussia Mönchengladbach. Anything you guys see in those moves or others from the pharmaceuticals this summer? I think the Schalke move especially is going to give them another dimension in midfield. I think it's going to tie defense and attack a lot better together, and it makes Leverkusen a more complete side. Um, I mean, they, they lost uh, Adley, hot play to them, but I think the quality that's there... Uh, add to that Boniface, who's arrived from the much hyped Union Saint-Gilles, and who before that played for the much hyped Budeglimt here in Norway. That's an exciting striker. So I think all in all, uh, Bayer Leverkusen looked like a very strong outfit going forward. Having said that, there are some rumours that Jonathan Tarr might consider an offer from the Premier League should it arrive. So maybe not all is settled, but uh, so far, so good. I think that looks like a great sign. Yes, I am inclined to agree, obviously, on the understand that Boniface works out, which, of course, we won't know, but uh, they know how to scout their players and, you know, they've proved that they can do this kind of thing, integrating new players in without too many problems. And I think Jabby Alonso, people have got very, very warm and fuzzy feelings about him and feel that he is a coach that's going places. He just seems like a warm and fuzzy man, both both personality and the actual tactile experience of... of yeah, <laughs> and I mean, and, and he's done a, a really good job in the short time that he's been at Leverkusen. I mean, the only note of caution that I would strike, which is a bit more of a vibey take, I think, to be honest with you, but... You know, I think about C.L. Ernie beforehand, had a great first season and then it all went to pop. They started a second full season and it it went badly. I mean, I worry sometimes whether or not, you know, coaches have a shelf life with this squad. But I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure that's really based on anything concrete. It's worth pointing out, of course, they have lost Musa Diaby. So that's a big yes, loss. That's, yeah. mm-hmm. that's the one I was thinking about. Adley, I said, but I meant Diaby, obviously. Terry, since you were just talking there, and we know that you keep a close eye on comings and goings at uh, Borussia Dortmund, they were also quite active on the market, taking players largely from other Bundesliga sides, Benzabaini from Gladbach, Mecha from Wolfsburg, and Zabitzer from Bayern by way of Manchester United, among others. How do you see their summer of wheeling and dealing Obviously, the big name is out the door rather than in, in the form of Jude Bellingham. But I think that was something we all knew was coming for quite some time. 
yeah, I don't really think there needs to be too much analysis about Bellingham's departure, as you say. That so that almost feels like a last season transfer, to be honest with you, and it was done pretty quickly. There's the guy from Ajax that they wanted to sign, whose name I have now forgotten. Apologies. Alvarez. Thank you, Alvarez, who I think actually is going to end up at West Ham, which is kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, that would have been quite an interesting one. I mean, Mencha is a problematic guy, but, you know, from a footballing point of view, is is a solid, solid signing. As is Benzabaimi and Sabic. And Sabic is a fine player, a classic Bayern signing. It's like, oh, he's good. We better bring him here so that he can stop being good against us. Typical Bayern. I mean, I say it's typical Dortmund signing these days, let's be honest. So, I mean... Dortmund basically takes the players that are good enough for Bayern. Yes, yes, we have him. Yeah. He looks like a fine lad still. That's a bit, un- that's a bit unkind. <laughs> I, 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 my feeling is, is that I'm not certain that they really had a plan for Sabic to Bayern. And I think that that's why it was a, a peculiar move. I mean, I respect the guy's, you know, wish and ability, you know, desire to back himself a, a big club like that and to get out of Leipzig, all good. But, you know, I mean, it would be nice to think that if he goes to Dortmund that there'll be a plan for him. And I think with him, him and Mencher, you know, that's looking like a pretty stoked midfield. And, you know, I'm pretty pleased with that. So I think the only thing left from the club's point of view, I know there's better coach up that they're looking to bring in into the defence from English club Southampton. But they want a secondary striker to help with the Haller or help Haller. Because I think maybe the Haller is not, maybe might not last a season or... Or that just needs there might be some extra dimension there. So we'll see whether that happens. Uh, I think it's been quiet, but I think it's a good squad. So I am wondering where's the next Bellingham, where's the next Bino Gittins, where's the next Sancho? I kind of thinking they go for Sabitzer, and you're thinking, well, once upon a time they would have probably just like found got some guy from Belgium or France, you know, like you know some 19 year old to come in, and and I'm wondering if there's a broader thing going on here about Dortmund's transfer policies, but. I don't know. We obviously have to wait and see. That's a that's a question for further down the line. Yep. We were talking about sort of transfers within the league and the, I don't know, perhaps battle for advantage between the likes of Bayern Dortmund and others. I mean, we did have at least one example of a direct transfer in the other direction. Rafael Guerrero moving on free to Bayern along with Konrad Leimer moving from Leipzig to Bayern. Bayern, of course, also picked up Kim Minjai from Napoli. That seems like a pretty nice pickup. Nick, do you see this as, you know, those names along with Harry Kane, perhaps one or two others that you might have picked out, are those enough to lift Bayern out of the semi-doldrums that they found themselves in last season? I mean, I do say semi because they did win the league. (laughs) They did beat out a very good team in Dortmund. But we all know that this was, you know, pretty far below their usual standard. I mean, they can't be happy about the fact that they didn't win three titles. I mean, Thomas Tuchel basically arrived at the Zimnerstrasse and the first thing he said during his first presser was, I'm here to win three titles. First thing that happens, they lose to Freiburg in the cup. Next thing that happens, they lose to Manchester City in in the Champions League. But everybody lost to them in the Champions League. Well, yes, indeed. Against the former Bayern coach who never did as well in the Champions League as Bayern would have hoped. But be that as that may, I think this squad is not strong enough to win all three titles so far. I mean, there's still time left in the transfer window. And I think the biggest problem, which they haven't really addressed, is, is that, you know, that balance between midfield, attack and defence. That hasn't really been sorted out. I think Joshua Kimmich really looks uncomfortable under Tuchel. His set piece taking has been uh, criticised a lot by Lothar Mateus and everybody on Twitter. 
So now, I, you know, I think those transfers are great on paper, but I don't think they really do anything to address Bayern's biggest issue from last season. So, you know, I'm kind of excited to see what Bayern are going to do about Pavard, who's willing to leave and who is in talks with Manchester United at this stage. Are they sort of thinking, well, if he leaves, we can sign a holding midfielder or defensive midfielder who can, you know, sort of sort out our issues in that area of the pitch and move Joshua Kimmich back to that position where he has excelled in the past. I mean, it might be a possibility. So yeah, I think Bayern still needs to do a little bit of work in the transfer window if they want to be sure to win that next title. Mm, yeah, I think that uh, Lyme is obviously a fantastic signing, but we all knew that that was coming for a long time. If I just speak objectively, I mean, Guerrero, I mean, is a superb, energetic player, you know, wonderful attacking fullback and is going to be a, a, a tremendous asset. I, I don't know much about Kim Min Jae. I, I do know he's like super highly rated, but I, I didn't watch enough of Napoli to form an opinion, but I, I trust others. I wonder whether or not maybe, I mean, if I was the sporting director, if I get a call from, you know, Uli tomorrow saying, Terry, will you, you know, will you, will you take on the role of sporting director? I would look at Pavard, uh, perhaps moving him on, and then maybe try and see if we could get Tremaine from Real Madrid, because I'm not certain that his role at Real Madrid is 100% certain. And he, I think he's a superb box-to-box midfielder. I think obviously with Bellingham there now, I wonder how many opportunities he's going to get. And I, I think he might. He's the kind of player I think that they're looking for. But anyway, yeah, that's kind of um, football manager speak, really, rather than actual football. One more team whose moves over the summer I think seem pretty intriguing, in part because of the names involved, in part because of you know what we saw on the extremely small sample size of the Super Cup. RB Leipzig, this is a side who had their ups and downs last season, but ultimately ended up about where they wanted to be. They picked up Christoph Baumgartner from Hoffenheim, as well as a couple of newcomers to the league in Xavi Simons from PSG and Lois Openda from, was it Lille or Lens? Lens. Lens, okay. I thought both of those guys looked really good in the Super Cup. What do you make of the sort of changes that the Red Bulls underwent over the summer, Nick? Having observed Marco Rosa at Dortmund, having observed him at Gladbach, you know, I, th- I think they're sort of like, much like with Tedesco, they're sort of like a tiring out of that squad in that second season. And that is going to be the more important issue going forward for me, you know, other than what, who has been signed. Because we know that RB Leipzig, they do transfer as well. I mean, that's their forte. Those players are probably going to be moved on for a lot more money than they cost in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you look at the price tags of Nkunku, Soboslai, and Gvardiol, like... That's like three, getting close to two, three hundred million for those guys. So indeed, I mean, I mean, Guardiola in, in himself was just ninety million, wasn't it? Making him the the most expensive defender ever to be sold. So I, yeah, I, I think those transfers look good. I'm more concerned about Rosa. Question mark regarding if Guardiola is going to be replaced adequately. But other than that, uh, yeah, Rosa second season syndrome under Rosa. That is probably going to be the biggest issue if he can work figure that out. Yeah, I like Nick's take about Rosa, but I mean, I'm reluctant to expand upon it. Largely, being a Dortmund guy, I yeah, maybe my subjectivity might be, my bias might be, might be a little bit too, too much for that. But yeah, I do wonder whether or not he is really the guy. 
Remember also Benjamin uh, Sesco as well is joining uh, RB Leipzig too. So, I mean, he's highly thought of, highly rated. I, I mean, that's going to be interesting to see to see what they do. They're, they're always a, a super interesting team to watch. They play a lot of good football. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, I think Nick's take is absolutely spot on. I think that the issue is going to be squad depth and that's going to, uh, and integration. They've lost, those are big players to lose, man. Big players to lose. <laughs> you lose one of them, you'll be completely understandable if you needed a bit of time to recover from losing one of those players. But to lose all three, man alive, that's going to take time. And I think it's super optimistic to suggest that Leipzig are going to be a title contenders this season, personally. I mean, a few weeks ago, there was a, even a rumour going around that uh, Timo Werner was offered to Premier League sides. I mean, obviously nothing else has happened as of yet, but I mean, lose him too. He's a complete bum in the Premier League, Timo Werner, because he didn't really work out at Chelsea. So needless to say, everyone thinks he's shit. I mean, who does work out at Chelsea? <laughs> you know, if, if he went there again, he would be on a fast track to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And I mean, Saudi Arabia is nice. I mean, the suppression, the human rights abuses are, you know... Maybe a bit questionable, but climate-wise and in terms of the football being played, absolutely top-notch. Tax-free wages as well. Maybe a place for Felix Metzger in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Fit right in. They won't even have to turn his uh, rainbow armband into a black and white footage in the, in the unveiling video. Uh, oh, fantastic. <laughs> I mean, if, if he can be coached by Mesut Ozil, it would be terrific. Mm-mm-mm. A few other... Notable transfers. We'll get to those from a certain team in uh, southeastern Berlin in our next segment. But Eintracht picked up Robin Koch on loan from Leeds. Elias Schiri is in from Cologne. Uh, Wout Weghorst is back in the Bundesliga with Hoffenheim. Some transfers semi within the Bundesliga. Alexander Nubel is back. He's still a Bayern player technically, or was until he signed for... VfB Stuttgart, Maxi Mittelstädt has joined Stuttgart as well from Hertha. I think that could be vaguely interesting. He was always somewhat underused there. Any moves, either those that I just mentioned or others that I didn't, that you have sort of thought of as potential needle movers in the Bundesliga? Talking about needles, uh, Wout Wirkus at Hoffenheim is fantastic. I mean, Dietmar Hopp promised a vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> didn't get it. Wirkus hasn't taken the vaccine. Perfect fit. Yeah, he doesn't move the needle. He moves away from the needle. Yeah, if we, if we can look beyond the probity and the character of the individuals for just a moment, um, uh, <laughs> keep that needle away from it. No, but it's just a metaphor, Val. It's cool. Just keep it away from me, all right? Vegos is a cracking signing for Hoffenheim. My goodness me. I mean, that is, that, that's that's going to be superb. Also, El Yashkiri. I really wanted him to go to Dortmund. I wanted him to go to Werder. Almost, I would. I wanted him to go to Palace. I mean, and, but he's gone to he's gone to Frankfurt. It's an annoying. Like, what is there? What is it? He's free, you know. He's brilliant. It's like, sorry, Frankfurt fans. Sorry, Brian. But why is he going to Frankfurt? He's, why? He's a- why are you not playing football under? An- you know, grandpa, who's sort of like 89 and... Uh, He's 75. 75. I'll have you know. And we can add ageism in terms of, of characteristic flaws to our list while, while we're at it, too. And uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, j- all joking is that I love Roy Hodgson. He actually coached my team in Norway for a couple of yes. seasons. <laughs> yeah. 
every time, every time, listeners, we talk about Roy Hodgson, whether we're recording a Fog podcast or not, he always points out that Roy Hodgson coached them his team. The biggest coach that has been through the door at Viking. Viking legend Roy Hodgson. It's, it's, it's in his contract. <laughs> every time you say Roy Hodgson, he says, oh, I really like Roy Hodgson. He played for Viking. I signed that contract when Roy arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, All do right. carry on. Go ahead, go ahead. Matt, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're dreading this, but uh, yes, Herter. Mm. We're not talking about them too much this season, are we? No, no, no. We, it, it's time. It is time. Yeah, I, I was sort of thinking about this, both from a personal aspect and from a sort of historical aspect. I mean, obviously, it's strange for me to not have Herter to pay attention to, because they've been in the top flight, at least for the last, you know, 11 years or 12 years or what have you, and now they're not. It's actually the first time since the mid-60s that there has been both only one Berlin team in the league, and that team is not Hertha. That was Tasmania Berlin back in 1965-1966. They were only there because of a strange... You know, make good technicality. Go back and listen to the historic match day moments if you want to learn more about that. Tennis Berlin has been in the league once, but Hertha were there at the same time. This is the first time that we've had Erste FC Union Berlin alone representing the capital in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I, I'm afraid to say that... They seem to have done some pretty good business themselves over the summer. I think it's definitely the kind of club that players both within the league and outside see as as an up-and-coming club. They see it as a good destination to play, both with a little bit less, perhaps, spotlight and pressure while still being able to play in the Champions League. So you're getting some names that you would not necessarily have seen associated with Union. I mean, Robin Gosens was the big signing just in recent days, who's, you know, a Germany international of some standing. They signed Hertha's best player from last season, Luca Tuzar. Uh, Brendan Aronson, who, uh, you know, plays for the U.S. men's national team and probably had some choices on the table once uh, Leeds went down. David Fofana, this is a guy who I think, Nick, you might have seen a bit of him having played for Molda a couple seasons ago. What do you make of how Union has sort of tried to bolster their squad for a big push in the Champions League? Do you think it's going to work out? I do, actually. You know, because I think they've signed a lot of experience. They've, they've signed a lot of players with a lot of heart. And uh, I mean, alongside Fofana, there's also Kevin Volland arriving. He's just on the doorsteps. Is that official now? That uh, medical on Thursday, which is okay. tomorrow. We record on Wednesday. So pending a medical, he'll sign from Monaco. Additionally, Robin Gosens from Italy, a first time in the Bundesliga at the age of 29. One of the few guys who actually turned German international before playing in the Bundesliga, which is uh, kind of a fun fact. He now finally gets to play in the Bundesliga. I think these guys have all been proven at an, at an international level. They've played in international competitions, played with their national teams, a lot of them. Yeah, it looks really good. And they make shrewd signings. I mean, they find these kind of players who have shown that they can get in the mix, do a job for you, but at the same time, they're not too expensive. Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like 
Union have picked up a lot of players who have experience, who have pedigree, but haven't broken the bank, like which is a very difficult needle to thread. And they are going to be getting not only Champions League television revenues for participating in that competition, depending on how far they get, they'll, they'll get even more. But they're also going to be getting a lot more gate money because they're playing their games in the Olympia Stadio. They didn't necessarily have to do that because they got a dispensation from UEFA last season. And it looked like UEFA was likely to give it to them again to be able to play at the, you know, the Alta Fosterei. But they decided they wanted to get some big crowds out. And the tickets are selling great. They're going to make a lot of money in the Champions League. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting call that they've made there, Union, to do that to move into Hertha Stadium for their Champions League games. I know there's a lot to admire about Union and the way that they've gone about their business and also there's a lot to admire about their fan culture. But, like, that decision feels kind of pretty ruthless, (laughs) I've got to be honest. You know, I mean, and it's a measure of their ambitions. You know, they don't... This is not... I think it can be uh, easy to be a little bit patronising and condescending towards Union and think that, you know, they're still this kind of like smallish club, you know, provincial club, very local, inward-looking club with this kind of left-wing fan base that maybe sort of like, you know, rejects some of the, uh, you know, sort of like less attractive aspects and gauche aspects of modern football. But actually when given the opportunity to really step up and grow as a club, you know, they're taking them. And, and, and yeah, the option to like move to the Olympia Stadion, sell a bundle more tickets for the Champions League, and they're taking it. And I don't know. I mean, I think if I was at Union fan, I don't know how I would feel about that. It might feel weird to me, but I mean, it's not for me to tell Union fans how, how they should feel about this. They, they should feel great. They're in the Champions League. But, you know, they're making the right decisions. And I think, and I think that is the right, kind of the right decision to make. I mean, if I was a Hertha fan, I think my piss would be boiling right now at the thought of these guys moving into my place. But, you know, I mean, I suppose that's the way they see it. I mean, we talked about Dirk Zingler in a previous podcast towards the end of the season and we talked when we were talking about private equity funds and about how he's not afraid to utilise that. He didn't borrow that much money, but he did do it. You know, this is clearly a club that is quite happy to live in the capitalist world in which we live and to try and do their best to make Union Berlin a genuine force. And I think they're to be taken very seriously. I think that their signings are also very, very mature signings, experienced players just like they normally do, it, per- perfectly in line with their transfer policy. It's just obviously they've upgraded the type of players because they've got Champions League money and Champions League football to play. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there was even a transfer rumour going around that Cellini might be on the doorsteps. Obviously, I don't think that's going to be happening. But mm. the, the, the f- Juan Bernat as well has been was linked. I don't think it's happening, but it was, you know, his names were being mentioned, you know. But the fact that that doesn't sound outlandish anymore says it all, really. And, you know, to add to what Terry said about private equity, Dirk Singler was actually one of the biggest poster boys for that private equity deal that the DFL was discussing earlier this year, uh, which was obviously voted down mostly by, by Bundesliga 2 clubs. So the big boys of the Bundesliga uh, said, yes, we want those 2 billion euros. And some of the Bundesliga 2 clubs said, well, hang on, uh, this is not feeling right. I mean, we did record an episode about it. Uh, you can go back and uh, look at that if, if you want to get a you know, closer picture of, of what was going on back then. But yeah, Dirk Singler really is the type of guy, you know, he, he is shrewd, financially speaking. He doesn't mind taking a risk, you know, and he doesn't mind making money over fist if he has the opportunity to do so. So, I mean, in terms of is Union Berlin a left-wing club? 
you know, I find it harder and harder to say that because, you know, in the past, some people try to sort of compare them to St. Pauli. Oh, they're the East Germans and Pauli. No, they're not. I mean, what Dirk Zingler does, St. Pauli would never do a lot of what he does, at least. Sure. But, you know, because historically and traditionally they had the anti-Stasi approach, and obviously, you know, that is their heritage, but increasingly it is. It is their heritage. It is worth contextualising this, I'm saying, by, by comparison, there are some truly awful football clubs out there and, and what Union are doing, you know, you know, they're, they're not doing anything wrong here. But I do find it a bit weird, like upping sticks and moving to their rival's place for their Champions League game. So that feels that feels to me sort of like weird and inauthentic, but, ha, you know. But anyways, Hertha. But anyways, Hertha, on the other hand. Yeah, I, I know that we're getting into, uh, you know, Aufstieg pod territory here but um, I need to counteract the notion that was spread in last week's pod that Hertha are going to go down again <laughs> I, I think even I think even Jasmine in, in her moments of calm of sobriety of, of you sobriety know, <laughs> easy there <laughs> I know, she's not here to I defend know, herself <laughs> she said it herself she doesn't necessarily really believe that they're going down oh my god but yeah, the, I can see I can see where she's coming from. Things are not looking good at the, the top of the season. Open up with two, you know, late losses in the Zweite Bundesliga. The cup went better for them, but this is very much a team that's still looking for not only its playing identity, but it's like who's going to be on the team identity. I think until they are able to get the deals done for Dodi Lukabakio, who may or may not be signing for Burnley or Sevilla, you know, today, tomorrow, sometime soon, and Suat Serdar, they just don't have the money to do what they want to do on the transfer market. They didn't get any money for Shishtof Piontek. Luka Tussar, the aforementioned Luka Tussar, who's still playing in Berlin, didn't make a lot of money on him or didn't, they lost a lot of money on him, in fact, but didn't get a big transfer fee for him. So, you know, until some real money comes in, I think that this is the kind of squad that is not going to stand out in the Zweite Bundesliga, and they are not going to be much of a promotion candidate. So anytime you're not a promotion candidate in the Zweite Bundesliga, you just might be a relegation candidate. So I'm hoping for some uh, movement there. I think before we wrap up things with Hertha, we should spare a moment to talk about Kevin Prince Boateng who, you know, of course, played the beginning and end of his career with the club, so associated with Berlin and Berlin football culture, associated for me with, like, everything about my German football fandom. He was coming up when I moved to Germany. He was part of the team that got me to fall in love with Hertha. His coming back to Hertha was like a dream come true. I had to buy his jersey when he got back. He's retired from football. I think if you watched over the last couple of years, he maybe. Maybe could have done that a little early, but I'm glad that he didn't. He played a decent role in keeping Hertha up two seasons ago, and don't think we can blame him for this past season's relegation. But he's done a ton for you know the profile of the game, anti-racism activities, you know, sort of helping broaden the global public's mind about what a German footballer could be, even though he you know, played internationally for Ghana. I just feel like he's he's a guy who, even though never really hit the heights other than winning a Scudetto with AC Milan, which is nothing to sneeze at, I think he's going to be remembered in an outsized way to the, the results associated with, with his career just because he played with such style and mostly carried himself with re- real integrity and style. 
I always loved the Prince. And, you know, I mean, to look at his, the type of clubs that he played for in his career, it's, it's quite incredible. I mean, he's played at some of the biggest clubs in the world. He's played at AC Milan. He's played at Barca. He's played at uh, Tottenham Hotspurs, even. Well, they're, they're <laughs> he played a little bit. He played just a little bit Some for, for Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, they, they are the Bayer Leverkusens of, of, of England, as we said earlier. But, uh, I mean, if you look at his Bundesliga career, too, there was his time at Eintracht where it was hugely influential and, in, in, you know, getting that side, the DFB Pokal, mm-hmm. one of the key players in that side. He played at Schalke, was a very influential player there. Had his time at Dortmund as well before that. And not the luckiest of stays. And yes, his two stints at Hertha. So what a Bundesliga career as well, really. He won a cup at yeah, Portsmouth uh, Frankfurt as well, didn't he? Did he win at Portsmouth? And did he win? I mean, he didn't, win, he didn't win anything with Tottenham, but that we knew. No, and he didn't okay. win at Portsmouth. I thought he won like a league cup or something. Some did such. he play in the... Did Portsmouth win that game? Yeah, I'm not. I'm actually just looking at his honours list and it doesn't. there's nothing from England. He wasn't at England for very long. Um, he was only at Portsmouth for a short while. I mean, he fought Michael Ballack in England. <laughs> that's true. That's that's something like a title. <laughs> I mean, he he was the most hated man in Germany around 2010. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. That was great. He became a cult figure in England for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> he was he became a genuine cult figure in England for doing that. The English reflections of the prince is that he was a really f- he was a much loved and fiery fiery player as we know because we know you guys you know know full well and the english absolutely loved him for that and he was a popular popular guy popular beyond his club as well he's he's much was loved amongst the english football hipsters of the day all right all right all right all right we should probably get moving toward the end of this edition of talking foosball but before we go we should really address the brass tacks of the season and what's to come we want to lay it on the line and give our predictions for who will be in the top six, who will be in the bottom three. I think we're going to find that there's a lot of agreement in sort of broad strokes between both of these categories. Terry, you want to kick us off with your top six? My, my Dortmund bias is kicking in again, and it's a reverse bias. It's an inverted bias. I, I, I can't, just can't believe that Dortmund will win it, even though if you read my newsletter, I'll say Dortmund should definitely be challenging for the title. And they really should be challenging for the title. But I just feel that those Bayerns are going to do it again. And I've gone for them to go top. If I don't know these things, I trust imagine what would happen if I was putting money on it. And I think that, you know, Bayern are always the, the best bet for the Bundesliga. So I've got them top and I've got Dortmund second. I think Bayer are going to Bayer Leverkusen are going to have a good season, and I think that that translates into third. I like the team of RB Leipzig's the potential, but again, as discussed, I think that they're going to be fourth. I don't think they're going to challenge, and I've gone for Freiburg, even though that feels like that's just sort of because because the middle class just I don't think they're offering that much extra, and so I think it's going to be pretty much as was. And I think even though Freiburg haven't really done much in, ter- in the transfer market, I still think that they're going to be pretty strong. And I've gone for Union to continue and they've gone for six. So, you know, I don't think they'll qualify for the Champions League, but because they're in the Champions League. But I certainly don't think Union are going to fall away, put it that way. So that's my top six. What do you say, Nick? Well, you know, I've, uh, I'm, I'm slightly more optimistic and, you know, I'm, I'm here to put myself uh, on the chopping block, so to speak, uh, predicting something that is unheard of in, in terms of, of the Bundesliga. 
Actually, my top pick for the season is actually Bayer Leverkusen. I think that Schalke transfer in particular is going to tie that team so much better together. I'm predicting that Bayern is going to finish second, BVB in third. RB Leipzig is going to slide into fourth once they fired Marco Rosa. Union Berlin, just to miss Champions League action, finishing in fifth. And, you know, Freiburg continuing to do magical things under Christian Streich. What about you, Matt? Uh, A pretty similar group, but in a different order. I'm also going in the, uh, you know, change progress direction hopeful i've picked dortmund to win the league i think they should have done it last year i think if they can you know keep anything like the kind of consistency that they found especially in the second half of last season together they they should be a good shout for the league i do think bayern will be up there i have them second i have leipzig third followed by leverkusen then freiburg in fifth and i picked eintracht sixth both to keep a certain team from Kupenik out of the top six. And haha, also because I think if Eintracht managed to keep Randall Kolomwani, which is a very, very big if, I think that they definitely have the juice to stick around. I'll kick off the bottom three. I think there's a lot of good candidates this season to be in the mix for going down. But first and foremost, I think Heidenheim is going to have some troubles. I think that they may not go straight down, but I think they're definitely going to be in the mix. I think Augsburg, their luck will run out. And I think maybe Bochum will uh, find their luck changing as well, uh, for the worse, that is. You know, I, I don't quite agree. I, I think that Bochum has actually done some decent business over the summer. Signing Felix Pass, like Maurice Kratang, exciting player from the Bundesliga too. So, um, you know, I, I actually haven't, pick them in, in my bottom three. I've, I've picked Darmstadt. Darmstadt in my bottom three. I think they are pretty much the shittiest side of all Bundesliga, of all 18 teams. I think they're definitely going down. Where me and you agree is that FCR, you know, the herpes of the Bundesliga, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the thing that never goes away, they are going away. Finally, Ikura is found and they are going to be relegated because, you know, nobody wants to see FCR because their football sucks. Their stadium is heartless and boring and the city in itself. I mean, you cannot get served any food after nine o'clock on a Thursday evening. What a dreadful place. (laughs) Do you have memories of a a hungry little Nick in your mind? (laughs) Yes. And you don't want me to be hungry in your city because if you leave me hungry, I'm not going to think kindly about my trip to your place. Anyways, in 16th, I've actually picked Gladbach because I think their dealings on the transfer market have been sort of a strange bag. Sort of like, I'm not really too excited about any of their signings. They've lost a lot of important players in Ben Zabaini and Lars Stindl. I think their defense is really uneven, not good enough, and... Honestly speaking, I mean, if you look at their squad in, in defense, I mean, they have signed uh, Shia Rodia from Bremen, who's 18 years old. I don't think he's just there yet to, to be a regular starter at this level. Elvedi has had problems. Uh, Marvin Friedrich never really arrived. Itakura uneven. And then it's Tony Janschke, basically, at 33, who's seen better days. And then it's just a bunch of talents and the one Maximilian Werber who's been signed from Austria. So I think their defense leaves a lot to be desired and then midfield i mean robin huck was signed 
24 years old, was just relegated with Arminia Bielefeld in the Bundesliga 2. Additionally, there are guys like Christoph Kramer there, who I think is over the top. Julian Weigel didn't really look too good last season. And Coadio Kone, the guy who um, really brought a bit of magic last season, he's out with a long-term injury. So I'm honestly I'm not too excited about Bruce Imaging Gladbach's prospects this season. So I think they're going to stay in the league, but just by you know, just by that's a bold one, man. It's it's a bold one, but I you know I'm, I'm going bold with Bayer in in top and Bruce Imaging Gladbach in the bottom three. All right, Terry, can you go bold with your bottom three? Yeah, I think I go pretty bold uh, with my bottom three. I mean, I, mean, I don't think Darmstadt is a particularly Bold one. I mean, I think that they're, you know, when you're relying on Fraser Hornby as your, you know, your your, your big money signing, then I, I don't think you're probably necessarily equipped for this league. Isn't that the guy who wrote Fever Pitch? Uh, no, that's Nick Hornby. <laughs> oh, this is his, his, his uh, nephew. Oh, wow. Fraser's his nephew, Fraser. <laughs> yeah, and I've also got Augsburg to go down. I mean, I think the only thing that about uh, Augsburg is, you know, Arne Engels these days, whom I'm here for. But I can't see that it, anything that they've done that in the transfer market to convince me. And, and you know, as Nick's right, they play terrible football. I mean, I admire Enrico, Enrico Marsen's tactics because Augsburg are a small club, you know. But I mean, I I don't want to watch them play. You know, they're the kind of you know kind of kind of team you want to see. You, you, you could only watch on CFAX, to use a very old expression. Um, but my 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 bold pick is Verda. I'm just not feeling Verda. You know, when your idea of, of an imaginative transfer is Naby Keita, I just, sorry, nah, nah. I mean, Naby Keita's been ruined, but Liverpool are not quite certain that it. I mean, I may be wrong about that. He might actually just come in and, like, be this engine and, and like, be amazing. And, and But, you know, I'm not being funny, Nick, but if you if, if Gladbach, if you think Gladbach are going to finish the bottom three and then and not pick Verda, then I, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure we can be friends, to be perfectly honest with you. What? <laughs> I, I, I do think that the two of those three Ryan clubs are, are, need to be careful, and, and Gladbach need to be careful. I think Cologne definitely need to be careful this season because they have not done much, and they're not and they're not really growing anywhere. And I'm just wondering how much juju you know Stefan Baumgart's got left for those guys. So I worry about that. But yeah, I'm going with with those three. I mean, not picking Heidenheim is like totally left field, but I don't know. I just feel like. I don't know. I've just I got I got feels for Heidenheim. I just feel that they they got some spirit, you know. Some of these things we just do for the variety of things. Like I, I left Darmstadt out of my list to to make room for Bochum. You know, we wanted to make sure that all the teams who fell flat on their face in the first round of the DFB Pokal, which is to say Bremen, Bochum, Augsburg, and Darmstadt, all had room in the relegation tent because I really think they're all going to be in that tent see these are content predictions they're not actual predictions they're sort of like well if if you're only producing content we cannot be friends Um, but (laughs) but um, I mean to be honest I still have both of you as a a friend even if you guys are fighting I'm not the one who's in the pay of Big Pharma with that prediction for who's going to win the Bingo Man alive! <laughs> they got to you, didn't they? Take an aspirin and calm down, Terry. Um, can, you lend, can you lend us a tenner, Nick? And you know the good people of Monsanto—they can cure your garden. Um, but but anyway, yeah. But I, what we can say with all hands on our heart uh, and without being paid by buyer is is that there are a lot of shitty teams in the Bundesliga this season, and that the relegation battle is going to be fierce. And I think besides Darmstadt, there are really no really sort of like. 
yes, this side is going to go down type of teams in that mix. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We can all agree on that. Yeah. All right, that's it for this edition of Talking Foosball. That's all the foosball there is to talk until the foosball actually gets underway in the Bundesliga. Great pleasure to sit here with you for a span of time, fellas. Any further things you want to plug or, uh, you know, bring to the listener's attention? Mm, sure. Uh, I, I can I can inform that uh, me and Eric Brew are in the, in the process of producing an all-new Patreon series together with Aiden, so our producer. And this one is called Torwart, and uh, the German speakers, or those who know a bit of German among amongst you guys, uh, will know that the series is going to be about German goalkeepers. And, well... There's a lot of great content to, you know, dive into when it comes to that subject. So head over to Patreon, subscribe for as little as, I think, $3, and you'll get loads and loads of content about goalkeepers going forward this season. Very nice. Yeah, also, I might as well plug my newsletter, uh, the Dortmund Dispatch, which launched, well, actually launched a few weeks ago, but the first regular edition dropped earlier this week, so I should have had the URL to hand, but just it's the Dortmund Dispatch. Perhaps Matt will be kind enough to uh, leave a link on the show notes oh yes oh yes we can take care of that in due time and yes of course uh, many thanks again to Aiden Rantoul our uh, stalwart producer he will be uh, guiding us through the season thank goodness bis zum nächsten Mal y'all